loved last week's episode. I did too. I thought it was really good. LaDonna was a fantastic guest, and it really tied up that autoimmune protocol series. Yes. I if agree. we want to call it a series, but the yeah. time that we spent talking about that important subject. And thank you for getting, spending the time to really get those up on YouTube. They are up on YouTube. So that we can get more people that might not do traditional podcasts to listen. So if you've got a friend that you want to share this with, a really good way to share these podcast episodes is YouTube. That's a quicker way than saying, oh yeah, it's on one of the podcast listening things. You can literally just send them the link mm-hmm. to the YouTube episode. Because we spent six, seven weeks talking about your new diet, essentially. Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff is accumulated at the dinner table. So today, I think we're going to unclog some backed up thought here. Interesting. But first, uh, the chicken attacked me this week. (laughs) I want to hear this story. Okay, we have... (laughs) Your friends, the chickens attacked you. What? The chickens are my meditative spot. (laughs) It's not where you want to be attacked. You're attacked out in the real world all of the time. You're attacked out in the real world all the time? Well, these are... You live a different world than I do. Uh, yeah, I was speaking <laughs> metaphorically. I haven't been attacked in a long, long while. But we're going to get a handful of chickens every September. Yeah. Chicks. Yes. Raise them up to adulthood. We did that last September. Mm-hmm. And it was our first go at raising roosters. Like purposefully trying to make sure we got some roosters. Now, in the meantime, after we moved to the farm, we obtained a couple of roosters. But these were going to be our roosters from baby. And we got yeah. two. Yes. Elvis and Colonel Parker. That's right. Mm -hmm. Elvis is the low man on the totem pole. And we talked about him a few weeks ago. We had to trim his wings because he was being chased out of the run and creating a new flock in my garden, which is not appropriate. Unacceptable. We trimmed his wings, basically like trimming his fingernails. I was doing some weed eating or something like that. And I noticed that Colonel Parker was pacing. Mm, He didn't like the weed eater. Alongside me. Well, that doesn't sound right. Maybe I put the weed eater down to see if he'd still do it. He was kind of like He was asserting himself. Yeah, a little Uh bit through a fence, though. A fence was between us. And I mentioned it to you. Uh Well, the other day, I was in the run Uh with a bowl of food or something. And I had on jeans and boots. That's important. Because all of a sudden, I feel this thunk up against my ankle area. Mm -hmm. And I look down, and it's Colonel Barker. Mm-hmm. And he has taken a lunge at me. Mm-hmm. And this is not uncommon. This is a rooster asserting himself as you know, king of the mountain, as yeah, top of the, the pecking cock. order. He's the big cock. I'm the big cock here. Exactly. And <laughs> in the pecking order, because mostly it's hens establishing the pecking order, you don't want to be at the bottom. You're just picked on and it's no fun. Yeah. But the roosters themselves have a pecking order. They want to literally be the big daddy of the yeah. three daddies yeah. that we've got. Yeah. They want to be the big cock. That's, That's right. their job. Exactly. And it is my job as the shepherd of the flock, so to speak, to be the big daddy. I needed to show Colonel Parker how big my cock was. <laughs> it's not unusual for roosters to be aggressive. No. They're, roosters have two jobs, to protect the flock and to make babies. That's right. That's what they do. That's, That's right. You don't need them to do that. You don't need them. That's their nature. Their nature is to be the scariest chicken that can scare anything around and make the ladies listen to him so that if he needs to tell them run, they run. Right. Or there's food over here. He'll they'll that, do that yep. too. Yes. So I needed to assert my dominance and I gave old Colonel Parker a kick. You gave him and a boot. It, now listen, before you write me an email, before you uh, report me to any agency. If you're that kind of listener, this isn't the podcast for you. That's probably true. But <laughs> it is not me hurting the rooster at all. A rooster attacked me. I had to, quote unquote, attack him back. Mm-hmm. Gave him a boot. Mm-hmm. He came back again. Oh. Gave him another boot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Came back again. I could see yeah, like, it was a mm, little that wasn't hesitant. <laughs> Gave him a third boot. And he kind of like looked at me, shook himself and walked off. And since then, I've gone in and I, I'm keeping my eye on him. I told you, keep your eye on this rooster. He's doing that thing that I've heard of but never encountered happen before. Yeah. Especially because we have guests and kids that come in and visitors That's to our true. flock. We like to take that people into our run and let them pick the eggs and feed the chickens. And He was having a full-blown fight with one of the older hens today. Yeah, and he's... I think he's being told, like, uh, hey, dude. You need to You're not the, back down a little yeah. bit and know your place. Put your cock away. <laughs> know your place. Speaking of big daddies, yeah. guess what we have now? I know the answers. <laughs> Just tell us. 
we have two Igaris. We have Mommy Igari and Daddy Igari now. I that's, don't know what you're talking about. That's our ducks. Oh, yes. Stray ducks. We have two stray Muscovy ducks. We had a female out of nowhere. Yep. She just showed up one day. It was kind of a rainy, wet. We had, a, we had some moisture in the backyard. And it was wintertime. And she started showing up. And she would come over every day. And she was trying to go in the pen with the chickens. And the chickens didn't like that. But she would hang out and she would swim in our pond and she would go over and eat at the barn with the steers and the pigs and the sheep. And I kept saying, she needs a daddy. Yeah, you whispered but to actually, me. Actually, I thought she was a he at that time. Mm. This duck needs a Hey, a Joe, do what you have to do to get- Make us get yeah, one of these let's a, extras. Let's get a match set in here. And the conversation about pairing ducks and birds and everything are pairing at this point in the year, right? Everybody's finding their mate. I started noticing that happening and I was like, oh no, it doesn't have its mate. It needs a mate. It needs a mate. And then all of a sudden, another duck appeared. Yeah. And clearly, this one is the male because it's even more colorful and yeah. it's got an even bigger like mohawk yeah, on top of its yeah. head. Yeah. And so we have yeah. Mommy Igeti and Daddy Igeti and they're hanging out. And every morning when I leave for work, they are right mm -hmm. outside our yep. front door in a little mulch path that yes. I've made to fill in a low spot that would collect yep. water during rain. Yep. And I guess that's the most insect-filled area of the farm because they are there well, every it's morning. Safe and insect-filled. Well, they're yeah. there every morning and it's a great little way to get your day started. I'm pretty sure that they go around eating like little bugs out of the grass and out of the mulch mm -hmm. and everything like that. I have been really happy to notice that the animals around the farm are really helping. I'm seeing less insects. Now, my soil health is a big part of that, but I know chickens being out and around in the backyard, kind of eating on things, ducks being out and around, the skunks that have been around eating the grubs out of the mulch, sure. just having a really, really healthy ecosystem has really made a big difference. That leads me into it's spring and I have beautiful vegetables growing out of the garden. I harvested every day this week in the morning. I'm harvesting spinach, broccoli, leeks, carrots, young mustard greens, onions, radishes, turnips, a whole lot of things that I'm going to actually be able to take, of course, to my customers. I have restaurants, two restaurants that I deliver to and then three additional families. And then I'm also going to go to the Rockport Farmer's Market this next Saturday. Fun. And so I'm excited to see how that goes because I haven't been to the Farmer's Market since the fall and that was Rockport Farmer's Market. And so I'm popping back in over there with some goodies and I'm excited. Tons of cilantro. I really have a lot of stuff. So you're going to start to hear about more of the things we're cooking Great. with all that good stuff. And fermenting and canning. My mom has been doing some fermenting for me because that's all good stuff I can eat on my diet. The other thing, egg production. Yeah. Oh I yeah. I mean that any controversy right. is gone. <laughs> now we're getting well over. It's not me laughing at you. It's a, me laughing with you. <laughs> well over a dozen a day. Yeah. So a stockpiling of eggs. I mean, and little girl, she laid little eggs. Yeah. We have one banty chicken. See, this is, uh, these are bred small. Yeah. Like the size of a big pigeon in a park. Exactly. And she's begun laying her eggs. They're like the size of a quail egg. They're fantastic. I was wondering, I was wondering if she was ever going to lay an egg or where she was laying her eggs. And then all of a sudden you're like, look, little bird, she's getting a little egg. Well, she I, needs a, she needs a boy next, next year. I look forward to hearing about your farmer's market adventure next week. Me too. Ooh. Unanswered questions. I liked that I asked LaDonna last week, what are three or four tips that you would give anybody mm -hmm. to live a healthier being, mm -hmm. healthier lifestyle? And they were, remember, drink more water. Yep. She said it without hesitation. Yep. Eat real food. Yep. Nutrient-dense food. And then I guessed that the third would be sleep, get good sleep. And mm -hmm. she said, that's part of it, but it's really reduced stress. Yeah. Mental health. Cortisol levels, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And when we first got together, we first started talking you were a better sleeper than I was, you'd say, all right, I got to get off the phone. I'm going to bed. I'm like, but it's only 10 o'clock or 930. Joe, there are four pillars of health. Yeah. <laughs> Water, sleep, movement, moving your body around, uh -huh. and food, real, yep. real food. Yep. The four pillars of health. That's oh. exactly what LaDonna said last week. Yeah. She mentioned something that I'd never heard of before, so I gonged it. Because mm -hmm. remember, we were talking about conventional medicine versus natural medicine. Yeah. 
And she said the stronghold that conventional medicine has and the structure that it exists in, what we know, came out of the Flexner report. Passing comment. I learned a lot. You know, one of the things that bothers me a little bit about the conversation of conventional health, natural health, right? Okay, first of all, what makes that conventional? If it started with the Flexner Report, how many years ago was that? 1910. So what's conventional about something in all of history that has only been around for 113 years, right? As if natural health is some kind of weird thing when really what we're talking about is the way that our body can naturally be healthy. And I think sometimes when we use these terms of like alternative and conventional and natural as if it's some kind of like but alternative weird, to what like, is the point? Right, exactly. And, that, and, uh, and the thing that it's alternative to is this mainstream concept. And my question then becomes, well, how did the mainstream concept become the mainstream concept? Yeah, because it was alternative at one point. The mainstream concept of today was an alternative concept once upon a time. Exactly. Now it's become the mainstream concept and the previously mainstream concept is the alternative concept. Yes. What a concept. I know. So (laughs) this got me thinking about periods in history where one person was able to create the mainstream in a moment. Mm Mm-hmm. And the first one that leapt to mind was I saw a really interesting documentary. I can't remember its name or where I saw it about the prohibition of marijuana Mm -hmm. and how it was really spearheaded by one guy. Uh His name was Harry Anslinger. And I'm neither pro or anti-marijuana. I mean, whatever, do what you want to do. I don't care. Mm -hmm. But the war on drugs or the idea that you can't have this thing... That you can grow in a pot in your backyard. Right. I'm not talking about a meth lab. Right. I'm talking about a a seed that you can grow. Right. And now we're seeing a loosening of marijuana laws across the country. And eventually there will be a repeal of it at the federal level that it is in in the classification of drugs that it is. Because we, as a society, have caught up to and moved past the marketing and fallacy Okay, but let this it has me thinking too about this idea that like how easy it is to make legislation happen, but once it's happened, how, how hard, hard it is, it is to, to go backwards yeah. from it. Well, that's it's getting exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Once it becomes the way, uh-huh. there is a mechanism in so many of us, not all of us, but so many of us that says, no, that's the way. Right. That's the way it is. That's how it is. Well, why don't we change? We can't change the way. That is the way. But it's that been wasn't that way, the way for a hundred years, a hundred and fifteen years, mm-hmm. and that's we're... the way we've always done it. So look into that one. Another one is subsidy farming, mm-hmm. and how it was really created by one guy mm-hmm. when he became the secretary of, a- of agriculture. Yep. And this is really well documented in a, in a documentary that I would suggest you watch called King Corn. Mm-hmm. His name was Earl Rusty Butts, Butts, B-U-T-Z. Yes. He has a real bad name in the sphere of people I listen to, conferences I go to, things like that. Well, appointed as the secretary of the USDA by Nixon. Mm. He went in and said... (laughs) Some really good legislative, good presidential executive things happening during that time period. He went in and said, we aren't considering the business of all of this. Mm. Rather than it being a free economy, kind of a capitalist economy of farming, we need to pay farmers to not grow if there are surpluses so we can control the ebbs and flows or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because prior to that, there was really lot, not a lot of governmental regulation about what farmers could and couldn't do on their land. Mm-hmm. But one guy came in and completely changed. Well, that's monopoly. That's that's making monopoly out of agriculture, and that's what happened with it. Th- that's what happened. I mean, and it also does this thing where it takes us away from farming. We don't have to farm anymore. When you take agriculture away from being something you have to do in order to feed your family, yeah. right? In order to feed my family, I have to grow my garden. I have to check my eggs. I have to make my bread. I have to do all that stuff. Now I don't have to do all that stuff. Right. So instead, I can leave the farm and go be a teacher. Sure. I can go work in a factory. Well, I'll turn the, I'll turn the food I can and feeding of, of my a, family into a convenience rather than a necessity, rather than a requirement of our labor. We don't hold value to farming anymore. With that lack of value, we aren't going to really think out how one secretary of agriculture can turn a majority of the farming in America into corn. 
And what are we going to do with all this corn? Mm -hmm. Well, let's start making products with corn mm -hmm. and let's start increasing the corn in our biomass to a level that isn't healthy. Mm -hmm. let's create this thing called high fructose corn syrup. No, let's change the name of it because we don't like that name anymore, but the product is still the same. So mm -hmm. we don't have to use that name because it's all marketing. Mm -hmm. Did well, you hear my dad telling the story about corn products? So mm -hmm. my dad's dad was the director of the port when my dad was okay. a kid. So he's the one that helped us build relationships with the corporations that used the port to ship products, Certainly. right? Yeah. So Corn Products was a company that built a facility right on the channel. So they could have access to the ships and use it as transit. Yes. When my dad was a child, that's when they began creating high fructose corn syrup. And Corn Products was a new company that his dad was telling people, oh yeah, they're coming over. They're going to be turning corn into some kind of sugar, basically. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was really interesting because we were having the conversation and like how fast... Things have changed in our health. How fast things have changed in our country. Yeah. This isn't the way. When you were talking about earlier, like, well, um, this is just the way it is. Yeah. Well, well that, corn, that whole corn years, system and subsidy system ago, started in 1976. Exactly. This is not the way. This just happened right before I was born when that became a thing it's that fast. wasn't that long ago. It's interesting how fast things can become the way. The way. Well, yeah. there's a guy in 1904... The brand new in America, American Medical Association, had their very first conference and pushed forth with the help of Carnegie Mellon, a research project on how to be a better health system. Mm -hmm. The results of that were the Flexner Report, 1910, with research done by basically one guy who went to every single existing medical school in the country and said, this one is the sta gold standard, Johns Hopkins at the time. Mm-hmm. And these others, and he named them, are garbage, and they're filthy, mm. and they're now okay. I don't have a problem with that. There has to be sanitary conditions. Well, maybe he was right about some of that stuff. Right. Okay, but the other result was that in the report he said all medical schools should be tied to like universities, basically, mm -hmm. or hospitals. This is the proper type of medical procedures and interests that we should pursue, and these are not. And on that list was your, quote unquote, alternative medicines. Mm -hmm. And what he was trying to do was say that everything in the medical system needs to be based on the scientific method. And even some people listening to that right now are going to go, yeah, yeah, of course. Right. The problem that I've got with the scientific method, and this really reared its head during COVID. Right. Is that we don't understand science, meaning science isn't finite exactly what we know today you can't put science in a box and say science is done we know our science yeah, now what we know today is the just the beginning yes well and to and to think that we knew then the way to build something that would work today means that we can predict the future mm -hmm. as to what's going to happen today we can't predict the future that's not science if we can take it outside of the box and say, science is this ever-expanding thing that we will never be able to understand finitely. Okay, let's stick with science. That makes sense to me. But as long as you put... Here's the thing. As long as you put money into it, the university, it becomes a monopoly. It some, becomes something people can own, oh, something and, and people can sell. The way. It's not science anymore. And it's, it, it's not science, though. And it becomes the way. I encourage anyone to Google the Flexner Report just to see these foundational moves that were made that created everything that we know about this or that topic because it changed everything that was going on and i don't know if those kinds of seismic changes in corn in the prohibition of this or that in I the medical system is always the right way i think that the important part is that when you begin to understand how minimal a hundred years is and that the United States of America is just over 200 years old and what, how young we all actually are. And to really start to process the history that we were taught in high school and how that seemed like a whole existence of 
life, right? Mm -hmm. And it was for us. But at the same time, it's this idea that something is the way, something is how it's always been done. It doesn't carry the same weight when you start thinking about, well, that was 50 years ago. That wasn't even that long ago. Look how fast it's made us sick or look how fast it has made catastrophic changes in what's occurring. The thing that I think makes it really hard sometimes when things happen in that close of a time period is that you have the same people still alive that were there when it started. We're so close to when that stuff started. We changed that. We made that happen. We felt like that was a good science decision. We felt that was a good economic decision. And now it's biting us in the ass really bigly. And so who wants to face the fact that they set something into motion that in just 50 years is killing off generations? Well, not only that, the corporations that have sprung up from the way that was created in 10 years, in 20 so years, in 30 years, powerful like, with lobbies beyond. Well, how quickly measure- did they become that power? How did they become that powerful that quickly? Right. The system wasn't built to grow infinitely with humanity and earth and all of that. The system was built to grow for 50 years on a capitalistic society. Because that is the way. I just shrugged as if anyone could see that. (laughs) You didn't shrug off some of this amazing food that I made this week. You make amazing food. Your AIP diet has made me had to rethink the way I use this and that and what ingredients that we can use for this and that. He's an amazing home chef, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. So if you want a curry... I can't go open a can of curry paste the way that I did when we had that short, uh, didn't really happen curry challenge here on the show once upon a time. (laughs) You just go down to the Asian market and they have them at the grocery store too. And you get your little can, like a little tuna can of red curry paste, yellow curry paste, green curry paste. You go to the Asian market and they have 50 of them. You go to the grocery store, they have two or three. But what's the number two ingredient in those things? The cans. I don't know. Sugar. Oh, well. So can't use that. Have to make, first of all, make my own yellow curry paste. Now, this is all in the food processor. Onions, garlic, a fresh lemongrass stalk, ginger, gall and gall. No, I didn't have gall and gall. That's a root, like ginger, turmeric. And they didn't have gall and gall at the grocery store. They have it at the Asian market, though. I didn't get to the Asian market. (laughs) But I learned that a... Substitute for gall and gall is ginger and turmeric. Golly, that gall and gall, you're going to get me some? Gall Godot loves gall and gall. <laughs> oh. A teaspoon of fish sauce and then some ground turmeric. I just upped the turmeric and the ginger to replace the gall and gall. Gall and gall. <laughs> it's just a funny word now. So you just process all that. There's your curry paste. You made this soup up really fast. I was actually really impressed. Well, I came home. home early to get my paste made. Yeah. It's like golly. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go to the grocery store to get a pound of shrimp because this is a shrimp soup. I take my curry paste, carrots, chicken broth, coconut milk, baby bok choy. My bok choy out of the garden. That's Pink, r- pretty, delicious, That's yum. right. Our mushroom consumption has gone up since AIP diet. Yes. Just looking for like easy to grab vegetables at the grocery store. Cilantro and basil. I do want to add in that this whole recipe, this particular recipe came because I was like, okay, it's time. The produce is getting full. You have a ginormous bag of pink bok choy in there. And you're like, okay, well, what do I do with it? And I start sending you recipes for doing this, doing that. Yeah, no, it it all came together beautifully. And the bok choy was perfect. And I loved this one. You know, we post all of our recipes in the show notes of the episode, no matter where you're listening. We get asked that question from time to time. They're in the show notes. They're in all the show notes. They're on YouTube in the show notes. So after I told you, okay, there's bok choy, crazy bok choy in here. You need to eat this. I also said that there is a bunch of, I had to go and thin all my turnips out. Okay. And I was like, we've got a giant bag of the turnip tops. Right. Make something with turnip tops. I made mashed turnips before that. Oh, that's right. I forgot you made that. Turnips in the mashed potatoes. That's how we've always done it here on the show. They were nope. Not with the potatoes. No this potatoes, time. Just, just the turnips. turnips. They were really, really good. To yes. the boiled, getting them ready to mash them turnips, you add your coconut milk, coconut oil, salt, and chives. And it came together so creamy and so good. Had a little uh, coconut taste because of the coconut that you're adding, but mm, so good. So this was like one of those like perfect little simple AIP delicious foods. 
Then you said, do something with that bag of greens. Yeah. Send me this recipe, turnip greens and pork. Think of like Southern traditional greens. Yeah. That's yep. what you're making here, but you're adding a pound of ground pork. Cut your bacon up into little pieces and get it not crispy, but cooked. So that also you're rendering that bacon fat out. Put in your onions, put in your garlic, then add your ground pork, then add your greens and a cup of broth. Mm-hmm. Get it all stirred, cover it, and cook it for 30 minutes. It was simple. It was simple. And then I took my Siete brand chips. Right. They're like tortilla chips or corn chips, but no corn in them. Right. The Kosova. And these are legit, guys. I Somehow I didn't realize I could eat these, so I hadn't had them. And then when I was at the store the other day, I was, because I remembered somebody had said something to me about, I, you can eat Siete. And I was like, I can? No, I think there's an oil or something. So I double checked. The round ones that are like the round Tostitos, you know, the ping ones, you know, that kind. Yeah. The round Siete chips are totally okay for AIP. And they were perfect for scooping up this pork and green deliciousness. I seriously ate both of those two dishes, the turnip green pork with my chips and the shrimp soup yellow curry soup yeah those two things were great for my lunches the in between the leftovers all that those were really good i like that too but i have another thing that i make that's like now it's become like an everyday thing and i make it like at lunchtime or sometimes i'll make it for dinner as kind carob of smoothies dessert. for dessert <laughs> no no you're not making those anymore and <laughs> well, i'm sad i got a little bored with them for a little while no, so make, make one tonight for us okay we'll see mm. um but i i definitely have been making these daily and i wanted to tell people about it because if you're like me and you've been without any kind of like crunchy cereal type thing for 20 years like me then you might actually want to try this. I take my coconut yogurt, and you guys know that I use the HEB brand unsweetened coconut yogurt. The emulsifier that has in it is tapioca starch, so I can have that. And I eat that in my smoothies. I put it on my wraps, and I put it with You also that. use it as a sour cream substitute for your baked sweet potatoes. I do. Ooh, you're right. Mm-hmm. I do. I use it for that as well. So I use that a lot. But on this, I put a bowl of that, so maybe like two tablespoons of that yogurt, and then I add usually either fresh blueberries and blackberries, or Joe cuts up a mango for me, and I use a fresh mango. I've learned how to cut up a mango pretty good. And then I have to have something crunchy in it. So I was like, well, what can I have that's crunchy? I ordered from Thrive. We haven't been able to find it local, but I have ordered it. Not without added sugar. Right. Yeah. Toasted coconut, shaved coconut, toasted, unsweetened. Toasted is important because you want that crunchiness. So because I ran out of that, I found another alternative that works just as well. And that's the apples that they make. They're shaved apples. The ones we get, you can get them at H-E-B, you can get them at Natural Grocers. You probably get them at um, Sprouts as well and anywhere. Is Bear, B-A-R-E is the brand. And they're apples. And so they're real nice and crunchy and I kind of crunch them up, you know, so they're like not big giant pieces of apple, but just like crunched up little crunchy pieces. Yeah. So I mix the fresh fruit, the yogurt and the apples. I don't even add honey into it anymore. When I first started making it, I would put, you know, a little bit of honey in it. Unsweetened yogurt. I don't even add the honey into it now. I guess with the apples, maybe that's made it a little bit sweeter. You guys, it's like eating a bowl of cereal. I'm not kidding. Delicious and crunchy. And it's just so satisfying that I have that one of those almost every day. At the beginning of this season, because we just recently passed the halfway point of Mm -hmm. the year of the season. At the beginning, the first four weeks, first four or five weeks, we did Whole30. Mm -hmm. And there was week two or three where you were just pissed off. (laughs) Because you weren't getting enough food you thought you weren't getting enough calories and you were having a lot of trouble are you having that problem with this at all no as a matter of fact i've actually gained some weight i really have and so now i'm at the healthy side of my general weight like category that i fall into i feel very satisfied i'm working so much i'm working so hard i don't feel like i don't have enough salt i don't feel like i don't have enough sweetness i feel really really good, you guys. And I'm not saying that I'm not looking forward to when I start getting fresh 
tomatoes and potatoes and all the peppers and all that stuff out of my garden that I'm not looking forward to kind of trying to reintroduce some of those things. I also would like to reintroduce chocolate from time to time. I was sad last night when you made a big old homemade yeah, batch of popcorn. Thing, and that I was giving thought to because Savannah's like, hey, can I get, can you make some popcorn for me? And anyone that listens knows that popcorn it's is especially homemade your popcorn. favorite. Yeah. Movie theater popcorn or homemade popcorn are, and I, I love them so much. All went on inside my head. Oh man, Aislinn's going to be so bummed if I make popcorn. But how do I tell Savannah, no, you can't have popcorn? Why not? Because Aislinn can't have any? That, yeah. No one's no. going to yeah. cotton to that, yeah. even you. Yeah. No. So I made the popcorn. I know. It was really sad. I was like, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward, you know, maybe a glass of wine from time to time. I'm, I'm looking forward to reintroducing some things. But honestly, I do not feel at all without. And it's amazing to feel freedom from certain stupid habits and cravings. I understand. Just, I feel so proud of myself and empowered. It's it's also interesting to go through the learning curve of the entire thing. Now that I mentioned Whole30 that we did in episodes 4.1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Did that make sense what I just said? Four? I have no idea. Episode 4.1, 4.2, 3, 4, 5. (laughs) There is a learning curve in these things. Mm Mm-hmm. Gluten-free. We did the whole thing again. We've talked about this a lot. Here's what you can't have. Here's what you can't have. And you look at that list. And because it's different than the way we've been doing it, Uh there is resistance to it. Uh And at first, when you first stop drinking and you first stop eating sugar and you first stop having the crunchy bowl of cereal and you first stop having the chocolate that you need every month when you're on your period and you for like whatever your little justifications, the coffee, that's what, I mean, like when I first stopped drinking coffee, I switched over to drinking the tea. Right. I drank the tea with the cinnamon in it. I don't even drink that anymore. I drink a glass of water. I drink a glass of water when I wake up, which I was already doing that. But then I drink a glass of water when I'm just oh, getting... So are you drinking any tea at all? Not really. Well, I guess I hadn't noticed that. No, i Are I'm you not... anti-tea or just, no, just don't I just, need to do it? I mean, it's just not like it's hot. I'm okay. about to go outside and be hot. I just don't need it. But there's these certain like habits and addictions that we have to like these um, stimulant things that we need. The sugar, the caffeine the alcohol, whatever the craving thing that we're looking for to kind of give us that it's really has to do with the fact that we're so generally uncomfortable with everything. Like mentally we're uncomfortable, physically we're uncomfortable. We don't have enough energy, all of these things. Well, we don't have enough nutrients. We're not drinking enough water. We're not getting enough sleep. We're not well, we're not living our best lives. And so to step away from those things initially. It's like, oh my God, I have a headache. And and we also, yeah. And we use these, we use these things that have been said that are not even, I don't believe they're actually real. I mean, I think that they're real in that you actually physically manifest a headache because you've been, it's kind of like I used to teach about home births and having births that like, please stop telling every woman how bad childbirth is. Oh my God. It's the worst. It's going to be so painful. It's going to be the worst thing you ever have gone through. It's going to be so horrible. It's horrifying, man, husband. It's going to be gross. It's going to be little, I mean, just all this. And I was like, stop, you're just making it worse. Imagine a world where we live in a place where birth is this beautiful, natural (laughs) thing that is, challenging. It's kind of like gardening, being outside in the weather. It's all of these things that we have convinced ourselves through just basically changing the way. Well, how did we change the way? Well, we all work inside now. So we all live in air conditioning and we don't have to deal with bugs. There's no discomfort. Nobody can be uncomfortable now. So we don't want to have to move our bodies very much. So instead we have to go pay and then don't go to a gym and go over there and do that. So it's like these habits and these boxes that we've put ourselves into that are a part of this way that you're talking about Mm -hmm. that just all of a sudden in the last 50 years, which is not a lifetime ago, which is not even that long ago, a whole Joe's lifetime ago, but that's not that long. That's not your whole lifetime. That's only half your lifetime. So it's not even a whole lifetime ago that these things started becoming the new, the norm, the habitual, the way we did everything. And somehow now we can't go backwards from them. How do we fix that? You mentioned at the top of the podcast that because we've been talking about the autoimmune protocol diet and how that's affected my life, 
for so many weeks mm-hmm. and it's been a big shift in us. There's been some other things on our mind that maybe haven't come out. And you guys know we like to really like dig in at the dinner table and just talk about things that are really meandering around in our mind. I started thinking about my worth and I've been thinking about that a lot. My mm-hmm. value, my value as a leader, my value as a communicator, my value as someone that has done the types of work that I've done in my adult life and have been committed to it, committed to it at a point of where I didn't make any money doing it, committed to it at a point that everybody in my life had to be committed to it and support me while I was doing it. And I heard this quote today that really struck me. I don't care if I win, but I'm not losing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought about that a little bit and I, I posted it and I posted it with a picture of stacks of vegetables that I'm about to take to the farmer's market I mentioned earlier. I follow this teacher and doctor. His name is Dr. Zach Bush. Yeah. And I've been following him since the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yes. I will get a text with a video of his often. Often. And he's really... I like him. Yeah. He's given me a lot of confidence. I connected with him initially over regenerative agriculture. Mm -hmm. And then I connected with him over the pandemic And then I connected with him over, he does come from this spiritual interconnectedness, A Course in Miracles, non-separate, we are one concept. That's where he teaches from. And then he talks about medical stuff. He talks about cancer and he talks about autoimmune disorders. And I've kind of followed along with him. I pass him along to other people. I sent you this podcast the other day that was kind of this opening for me. It was like he bridged everything that I've been thinking about, working on. Yeah. He made the final connection for me. And I hope that we'll share this for our podcast listeners because definitely, I would encourage everyone. First of all, I would encourage everyone to look into Zach Bush. He's amazing. He is just one of those speakers, teachers, doctors, leaders. He's going to make change. He's making change. He's, he's doing savior type things for our country and for our world. But let me go ahead and post this one that you sent me the other day. Yes. Yeah, you and gotta... please listen to this, you guys, because it's worth your time. If you listen to our podcast and you're an audience of our podcast, then you're going to like this guy. It brought to me this revelation about how I feel about this idea of, I don't care if I win, but I'm not losing. And also the idea of why I allow the world to give me the value for myself and why I feel valueless in a world that doesn't care about the life on the planet and that doesn't care about the health of our bodies. And I'm not saying that everybody or nobody cares about these things. Mm. I'm just saying that generally as a collective consciousness, as a collective country with a collective government and collective economic systems and collective systems that we don't care about growing vegetables on our land. We don't care about eating healthy foods. We don't care about making sure that if we're sick, that our diet is the thing that we pay attention to. We don't care about killing things all around us, insects, spraying our bodies down with things that could kill or make us sick. We don't, we don't, we don't understand it. We don't look into it. We don't spend a lot of our time doing well, we've that. we certainly surrounded ourselves with products. Yeah. Well, I don't want to get bit by mosquitoes, so I'm going to just douse myself with DEET. I don't want to get a sunburn, so I'm going to douse myself with sunscreen, all of these things. And I don't want to dig too much into that because Understood. I'm not taking away all of the comforts of the world, but I'm saying that... Yeah, I don't think you're suggesting that that's what should occur. No, what I'm saying, though, is that we have gotten to this place where our convenience and our comfort is simply more important than the value that we hold for life. That has made me feel valueless because it made me feel like the things I've set my whole life to weren't important and weren't valued by our society, by our world. He talks about basically the end of humanity. And you know, most people that listen to this podcast know that I, I'm along with, under, I, I have a, a feeling about this. Interesting statistic that he brings up about topsoil in the world. Mm-hmm. Most people know that the layer of topsoil around mm-hmm. the world is shrinking. Yes. 
And in that podcast that we'll share, he said there's enough topsoil for 80 more annual harvests. 80 years. That's past my life, right? That's past beyond me, but that's like, okay, that's my, you won't necessarily smack you exactly of of my children's life. Right. That's certainly toward the ends of my grandchildren's life. That's in their lifetimes. That's things they will live through. He says two things, and this is where I keep get going back to that quote. I don't care if I win, but I'm not losing. And he says, regenerative agriculture and the idea of regeneration And the idea of doing what we can for the planet and our personal health and the biodiversity that exists in this interconnected world that we all exist in Mm -hmm. has the ability. The earth actually has already created its evolutionary adaptation to handle what we've done to it, but we can't handle it. As the world has created its next era, right? The world is prepared with its biromes and its bacteria and its fungi and all of the different life that earth can create. Well, the earth didn't care that it went through an ice age, but exactly. it did. The earth exactly. won't care if it goes through a superheating event. Right. It will correct itself. Exactly. Will we as a species be around to see that correction? Yes. And he even says that every time that type of thing has occurred when we've gone through a full catastrophic end of life and then a restart of life, Mm -hmm. that it's gotten better. We've increased the amount of biodiversity. We went from ferns and palms to these full-fledged fruiting, flowering fauna and human life. So what will come next, right? So if we're headed toward an extinction event, Mm -hmm. like a lot of people believe that we are, Earth will be even more amazing and more special than it is even now, if that's believable, right? If you can believe that. And in the meantime, there are plenty of people, including us on our farm, me, that are digging our hands in the dirt and watching regeneration occur all around us. And if I don't care if I'm going to win, if we're going to go extinct, I'm not going to lose while it's happening. I'm going to live in the most peaceful, joyful, and he uses the term hospice for the end of earth. Let's be in palliative care of the earth while we have what we have left. Yeah, before he left conventional medicine, he was in a palliative care position. And that's what stru- he was studying. Yeah, that struck me. That really struck me because one of the things that's been drawn I've been drawn to is not just the nature, not just the gardening, the beauty, the art, but also this idea of hospice care, this idea of the doula, right? The doula that cares for the mother that's having her baby, the doula that helps with the end of life. And it's got me thinking that this life is so important to me. Quality of life and the beauty of life is so important to me. And when we began to talk about these farmers. And I started thinking about what I've done in my lifetime. And I started thinking about those vegetables piled up on the table. And I started thinking about the children that come here to the farm and the mothers that are bringing their children. I started thinking about digging grub worms out of the dirt and feeding those to the chickens. Mm -hmm. And I started looking around at all the flowers and feeling the air and the sun. And while I'm out in the air and the sun, I'm breathing in the bacteria and the viruses. And as I'm digging in the soil with my fingernails in the soil, I'm seeing the fungi and all of the mycelium that's like interconnected into the soil and is creating life all around me. I see the bunny rabbit that is literally not afraid of us. (laughs) Our new tenant. The stray ducks that have showed up. The rodeo that happens in our barn with two steers, two sheep, two pigs, two ducks. We've got chickens that are getting the boot every once in a while so that we can like just... Chickens living adjacent to the rabbits. That's uh, yeah. There's this whole special regenerative thing going on out here. And it was a revelatory moment for me to really begin to understand that I have this opportunity now to A, communicate with an audience of people that are paying attention, that are 
concerned about some of the things, whether it's the autoimmune, whether it's their own actual biodiversity of death that is occurring in their body, in their gut, when we're talking about leaky gut, right? We're having issues with our bodies. We're taking antibiotics. We're using Purell for everything. We're isolating ourselves in our homes and air conditioning with the car and air conditioning, and then straight to our office with more air conditioning. And we're not interacting at all with what's happening out there in nature. We're not digging our hands in that soil. We're not not taking a cue from nature. Right. Because there's so much evidence. First of all, you lose people when you say extinction event. Let's just be clear about that. Because we are humans and we are better than. Nothing bad is going to happen to us. We will solve these problems in due time, is the common conventional wisdom. I just don't think that that's who I'm talking to anymore. I, I really don't. I mean, I believe that there's probably a few people that are like, oh, please don't say it because I've been feeling it. Please don't say it. Please don't make it real. Don't make it real. And and who are you to know? And, uh, and that's all our ego saying like, no, I can't face this sure. because how uncomfortable is it going to be to or, lose? Or let me align with this or that group that I can then reject these kinds of concepts right. outright because now I can call but you I'm crazy. I'm not speaking to something that's not in the internal hearts of But nature most. gives too much indication that it can heal itself if it's left alone. Mount St. Helens, right? Remember mm-hmm. when that erupted mm-hmm. and everything is blanketed and covered in ash and all this wildlife is dead, but now you go back and it's green and lush yep. and beautiful. If yep. you just leave it alone, it will yep. take care of itself. Yep. I know that when you go talk to clients, yes. you are asked, how do I get rid of this insect because there's an infestation? Yes. How do I get rid of these weeds because there's an infestation? And what I know in watching you do what you do is when you make a new bed, there are native grasses, quote unquote weeds, mm-hmm. that we're going to weed eat down to the dirt. Mm-hmm. And if we then stopped at that point, and it, now all we have is just bare earth, mm-hmm. the earth is going to spring forth dozens of different species of plants to recover itself like a scab over a wound correct and then from there you might see after an animal comes by and poops on it a few times after the earthworms start digging in there after fire ants make trails and allow Mm -hmm. air and oxygen to get in that mycelium takes over or maybe we'll throw a little mulch all all of a sudden it's teeming with life again where once it was not Yes. And all that life is going to continue to thrive and a curative, a healing plant is going to be the main plant that's going to grow and different types of viruses and bacteria and insects, pests are going to grow on there. And that's going to continue to keep going basically down to the baseline of the only thing that can live if you keep killing it. If we keep wiping it out, if we keep going over to that space that we've kind of let grow back over, because I know that in South Texas, people are going to immediately go, well, no, this is just what grows down here. This type of uh, landscape, the uh, mesquite trees and the wesatch, the prickly thistle, you know, this is just what grows down here. This is native. No, this isn't native. It was only native within the last 50 to 100 years, speaking of the way we do it. We don't know what it looked like before we came here and kept poisoning the land over and over and over again and stripping it from the life. If we let it go completely and stopped poisoning it and stopped humanizing it, then absolutely all kinds of things. Birds would come and poop a new seed from a different land, and then mm-hmm. that seed would take off. And th- guess what? It's the dandelion. You know what the dandelion does? The dandelion reaches its deep, deep, deep taproot deep into the earth, and it mines up calcium, pulls up calcium to the soil. Then as you stop mowing it and spraying herbicides down on top of it, you create organic matter. The organic matter lays down on top of the earth where the dandelion has pulled the calcium up to the top. And now you've got mycelium. The mycelium comes from the organic matter, the compost, the mulch that's building up on top of the soil. And the calcium that's pulled, been pulled up is now drawn up into the topsoil. The topsoil now has 
finger hairs of these fungi and now takes that calcium over here to another piece of land where all of a sudden a bird that pooped a different seed, a plant that does really well in soil that has got a lot of calcium in it, that plant takes out. But that plant is really, really good at drawing some other nutrient from the air. And it pulls that nutrient from the air down into the earth. And then what that does is that there's a deep, deep, deep in the soil is this hidden seed of a tree that we haven't seen in a hundred years. And that tree sprouts for the first time in 100 years because we stopped killing things. And that one seed just happened to be down there. And now before too long, we've turned instead of a desert, instead of a South Texas can't grow anything because we don't have any topsoil and we have compacted dead soil because it's been under agricultural production for the number of years that it's been under, we begin having a forest. And yes, we have a hurricane that blows through and knocks all those trees sideways. But if you've ever been to Rockport before, you know that trees can live in places where hurricanes blow through. Oak trees live all over the place and over a, there. a hurricane, a flood, a fire is yes. all part of the yes. cyclical nature yes. of regeneration. I love how when we go on a road trip like we recently did to Louisiana, we take a couple of days and go typically to some kind of national forest or mm -hmm. protected forest and go for hikes in these areas where degradation, deforestation is prohibited by law. Because mm -hmm. we see things, evidence of regeneration in these places that we're just yes. not allowed to see. Yes, but we're seeing it here on our property. We are. We're to, beginning. To a, exactly. Mm -hmm. We're beginning. It's in those beginning stages. Because what is this property? It is old, tired cotton land. Yes. How long had it been out of production before your folks bought I'm it? I'm not 100% sure, but it had, someone else owned it before. Okay. It, it, it was out of agricultural production. It had grown over. There were mesquite trees all okay. over it. So but prior to out, that new regeneration, it had gone through the, let's take everything out of this piece of land process. Yes. If you go back to... To soil health and soil regeneration and the full growth process that happens, there's an entire stage of plant growth that occurs. Stage one is the grass. Stage two is the shrubs. Stage three is the trees. Stage four is the taller trees. Right. You know, stage five is the animals. Mm -hmm. Stage six is the, you know, there's all these different levels of biodiversity that occurs, but it takes time. Yeah. So what does your dad do? He builds the pond. Mm -hmm. Stocks it with fish. Yes. Okay. Then what's the next couple of things that are done to regenerate the land? Large livestock. That's right. Where hooves literally go yes. down into wet ground when it is wet to yes. aerate down and poop goes in. Yep. And all of a sudden, what, what will happen in these processes is the springing forth of native grasses and yeah. plants that weren't there before. And he spread some seeds out. There so we go. helped out with it. He threw some seeds out. Then, some of that worked. Some of that didn't work. Then as you say, what is the solution to every problem? Well, the solution to every problem is organic matter, which the quickest answer to that is lots and lots of mulch. We have brought truckloads of yes, mulch. Yes, literally. He has brought truckloads of, of manure. Yeah. Truckloads of to create new soil. Yes. So yeah, I do see evidence of that regeneration all of the time. One of the most exciting things for us is to go out after a moist overnight and see any kind of mushrooms or toadstools or fungal growth. Absolutely. Like, oh I get God, excited. I get excited here. every time. So all of this stuff about what's happening here. No wonder here on ducks want to live here. <laughs> Everybody wants to live here. So all of this stuff, when we are talking about what's happening here, and we're talking about regeneration and we're talking about my, this leaky gut thing I've been dealing with. Right. This autoimmune issue and regeneration the fact that my inside your body. body is sick. Well, exactly. And the thing is, is that it is a true revelation. It's like a light bulb came on in my head. I said this when I was talking to LaDonna last week, when I said, it was like, when you said leaky gut, it was like, all of a sudden it started to come together for me. Okay. Now we're talking about biodiversity of my stomach. We're literally talking about how inside my stomach is a gut biome. Yeah. And that gut biome helps my whole interconnected system function better. My brain, my bowels, my skin, my hair, all the different things that are wrapped up into the immune system and all it's of the systems that It's connected in a way work. you wouldn't have even thought that it was. No, but it has now become an understanding that I now get it. And if you think about it, the foods we're eating and the things we're doing, antibiotics... We've been taking 
broad spectrum antibiotics, heavy duty. And I said this when I was talking to LaDonna last week, this feels like now it's gone all the way back to my age of 13 when I went through that major lawnmower accident and I was in and out of the surgery for a whole month. And then the summer of my life, trying to save my leg from a lawnmower accident. Do you know how many broad spectrum antibiotics were run through my system during More that time? More than you could probably count. And that was just the beginning of killing everything inside my body to try to save my life. Right. Just K- kill the good stuff and the bad stuff. Kill it all. Just kill it all and keep it alive. Mm-hmm. Kill it all and keep it alive. We've been talking about this kind of stuff now. I've been talking about it with people since Lily was a baby, since before she was born, when I decided to make choices with doing a home birth and doing it differently for her. So that was the beginning of stages. We talked about it when I worked at Driscoll Children's Hospital because we were talking about the rise in MRSA, which is a staphylococcus, basically this super bug, super virus that was beginning to spread the outside anti- of the hospital. Antibiotic immunity. Right. And so people know, we, if you think about why do you eat yogurt? Why do you take probiotics and prebiotics? Why do you do all that when you've taken some kind of antibiotics? Because you've killed your gut biome. Why do you why, use... Why do we talk so much about fermented foods? Exactly. Why did the idea of using Purell on everything and cleaning everything become such an issue? Moms were like, no, our kids need to be like licking the dirt a little bit. Oh, it's okay. Let them, let them drop their binky on the floor and pick it back up and stick it in their mouth, you know? And moms kissing their babies when they've got colds and flus mm-hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. I used to, when I was nursing Lily, because Cortland was like five years old, when I was nursing Lily, I would kiss Cortland because he would come home from school or Mother's Day out or whatever, and he'd have like a cold. And so I'd kiss on him so that the antibodies would get into my system. And then I'd nurse Lily and then the antibodies would get in her system, trying to help her immune system. This is not new information, but the big bridge for me was the idea of understanding that the poisons we use on this planet for agriculture, the pesticides and the herbicides like glyphosate, which is Roundup, These things are the same types of killing of our land, basically. Antibiotics for the earth. It's antibiotics for the earth. And when I began to think about my body as a farm that's devoid of organic matter, I began to really understand my value. Why has God put me here with all of these adversities and all of these challenges and then this special drive at this thing that nobody else really cared about. And there were a few people that cared, but not enough to like make it easy, Mm -hmm. not enough to make it valuable Mm -hmm. in the modern day capitalistic society. You were planted with a specific set of skills in a community that really rejects that kind of thing. Oh, I, I was made fun of during the mayoral campaign because of the type of work I do. When did we start making fun of farmers? When did nobody want to be a farmer anymore? Did you know that the average age of farmers is 70 years old? That's a, that's an amazing statistic that's hard to swallow. Did you know that most of them are dying either from cancer or suicide? I hate to hear that. It's horrible. And yeah. why? Because they're not making money. They're not enjoying what they're doing. They're not farming anymore. They're running machines and they're contractors. And they are constantly exposed to a cycle of chemicals. Right. Exactly. And so these are the types of things that... And and people don't like doomsday stories. This isn't a doomsday story. That's what I was going to say. This is reality. This is the thing. Well, over the years of doing Grow Local South Texas and feeling little value related to this outside of just a small group of people that really were supportive of what I was trying to lead and also that had an interest in this particular area. They wanted to go to the farmer's market that they had a better option. Certainly. Right. I've wondered really what, what is the purpose of this? And I've not had a lot of hope for it. And suddenly when I begin to see the interconnectedness and this ability to be a part of, even if it is extinction, even if it is the doomsday stories, what if there's a section of this world that is into regeneration and is into this interconnectedness. What if I'm not the only 40-something-year-old woman that is leaving her corporate job to come home to the land to grow vegetables and to raise her children on the land? 
I know I'm not. You oh, know yeah. why I know I'm not? Because I'm getting contacted by them all the time now. And it's not about this, like, we're not making money doing this. I mean, you've got people that came from high-level law degree, making shitloads of money corporate America that are saying, I can't do it anymore. I simply can't do it anymore. This thing of regenerating and being a part of, let's call it the hospice of the last generations of planet earth, the quality of life that can be left for my children and for my grandchildren. Mm -hmm. This is why I'm here. This is what my value is. This is what is so beautiful about this recent revelation I've had and why it's been so important to me to want to share it and why that quote comes back to me over and over again. It's going to be stuck with me now. And that is, I don't care if I win, but I'm not losing and I'm not losing when I show up with a stack of vegetables at a farmer's market for people that care about eating vegetables. Maybe it's because they have cancer. Maybe it's because they have autoimmune diseases. Maybe it's because they're a 41 year old woman who has two young boys and they're looking for someone that can teach them how to garden and someone that can help them feed their children organic foods that make them feel good about life. And that's been a part of the stress for me that has made my worth and my mental health and my spiritual health be disjointed. I didn't understand where I fit, but I also didn't understand that I wasn't extending the interconnectedness that I understood about what happens in the earth, in the soil, with the plants, with the animals, with my body and with my spirituality too. I spend every day of my life focused on exactly what we're talking about here today. Regeneration, not just regeneration of the land, not just regeneration of future farmers, but regeneration of health and wellness for everyone. Not just me, for anyone that cares to hear what I'm learning from people like LaDonna who are doing the work that she's doing to try to share the messages that she's sharing. There's got to be something more to constantly battling, killing, warring. There's got to be something more than killing in order for humans to live. Because the fact of the matter is all of that stuff we believe is creating comfort for us. We're not very comfortable. We sure do complain a lot. We sure are sick. We sure are mad at each other. We sure are defensive. We sure are afraid. For some of these key words, regeneration. Yes. Biodiversity. Mm-hmm. Interconnectedness. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, I can't wait. I know this is going to carry on because it's such an important conversation. And I want to hear what other people think about this. I want to hear what other people think about extinction events. I want to hear what other people think about glyphosate's killing us all. I want to hear what people think about these harsh, but also hopeful words I'm talking about. And I also want to hear what people think about this podcast with Zach Bush. And are you feeling like you're a part of this message sharing movement as well? It's almost like the way we've done it. We need to try a new way. I'm ready. Well, hey, while we're in this intellectual vibe, why don't you kick over a question that we can deep dive into? What do children know more about than adults? Everything. End of story. I think that we lose everything that we needed to know every day that we get taught more about the world and the rules of the world. I have read articles and seen studies and about how the limitless imagination of a child mm-hmm. that we encourage with art in kindergarten, mm-hmm. a coloring book at home. Mm-hmm. Every house has a coloring book and some crayons. I think we've got coloring books and crayons in case a kid shows up. Be creative. Mm-hmm. Draw outside the lines. Mm-hmm. Curious. Colors don't matter. I mean, you could put the color wherever you want. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Until we say, no, 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 that right. tree is green. Wait a second, you've done this incorrectly. Exactly. Wait a second, you've drawn outside the lines. That's right. Your quick answer there, Mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. They knew everything before they got here. Okay. 
uh, a, a child doesn't know their ABCs until they learn their ABCs. Yeah, but why does that matter? We don't know that that matters. That only matters in the world. When I say everything, I mean everything. They know everything more than we do. I always get the most excited when my kids are being creative. Me too. And I know I told my kids, like, you can do anything you want to do. You, you do not have to live up to any expectation that I have about mm-hmm. what your career should be, what school you should go to. I don't, you know. Mm-hmm. What do children know more about than adults? Peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think about how a baby just cries. It just cries. It's uncomfortable. Acceptance. And even when it's comfortable, even when you make it very comfortable, you do all the things to make it perfectly comfortable, it still just cries. A child will accept anybody until they learn that they shouldn't. Yeah. They don't even know not to accept. That's what I'm saying. They don't know not to accept. They don't know not to create boundaries. You know, and I'm not saying that life isn't about learning things, but what life is about learning is about learning the, the difference between dark and light, right and wrong, the boundaries that we set is how do I learn the boundary and then go beyond the boundary? Yeah, they all, all they're going to learn is boundaries. That's exactly all they're going to learn is boundaries. Yeah, that's what life is. Boundaries. Uh-huh. I don't care if I win, but I'm not losing. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. What?